Hello, everyone, and welcome to One for All, that weekly show where we review and rewatch, not necessarily in that order, nope. the anime My Hero Academia. As always, I am your slightly jumbled co-host, Anna, and I am here with my un- my other wonderful co-host. It's me, myself, and, and Nancy, evidently. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm having a day, y'all. Uh, clearly, but we are here to watch some MHA and do what we do, which is talk about it and then give someone a, a high five, basically, for being better than everyone else. Yeah, that seems about accurate. And I can guess who might get the plus ultra character of the week this week, because we're talking about season four, episode eight, Sun Eater of the Big Three. So if you were wondering who is going to be highlighted specifically in this episode... Now you know. Yeah, usually when it's mentioned in the episode title, you know that they're going to throw down. Oh my goodness. What do you remember about this episode? I remember that there's a fight, like a pretty significant one involving Sun Eater, as you might have expected from the title. And I don't remember if it's resolved by the end of the episode or not. I think it is. Yeah. We'll find out soon, I guess. We're, we're going to find out soon. In fact, we are going to go watch Sun Eater beat on three count them three whole villains with superpowers right now so we'll talk to you in a few okay and we are back after a very fast-paced episode jam-packed it's so jam-packed in fact we don't kick off necessarily with a recap we kick off with a flashback yeah, we see Amajiki, who's also known as Sun Eater, as a little kid. Baby. Um, yeah, like pretty young, being introduced to a classroom full of students. He's a new kid in town, and he is cripplingly shy. He can't even introduce himself. Yeah, the show points out that all these kids who knew each other the year before kind of cluster into groups and have fun on the first day of school, but nobody wants to take a chance on meeting the new kid, especially one who was so awkward in front of everybody. But that doesn't stop Mirio! Yeah, because as we know, Mirio is like this perfect cinnamon roll. He talks to him, he says, I think you mentioned that you like heroes, or you tried to mention that you liked heroes, you couldn't get the word out. He's like, I like heroes too. And how that moment definitely sticks with Abajiki, because he reflects that Mirio has always been, you know, so bright and shining like the sun to him. Yeah, he's he's so positive Mm -hmm. and kind. And how that makes him want to shine as well. Which mm. is very warm and fuzzy. It is very warm and fuzzy. There's a lot of warm and fuzzy mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah. This episode, as you see now, is really all about bonds and why people matter to each other and what those bonds can inspire them to do. But it is not warm and fuzzy back in in the present where there are lots of thugs trying to impede the police and the heroes from getting into the building. Yeah, so basically what it ends up looking like is the the villains basically sent out all of these low-level bad guys to basically create a, a bottleneck and prevent as many of the heroes getting inside the building as possible. But it's n- not entirely effective. There's still plenty that managed to get inside, including, you know, Deku and basically all the main characters that you think. <laughs> all the main characters... Plus Rocklock. Plus Rocklock, 
Oh, I feel like they could have done so much better with him as a character. And also there's a, a police officer here as well, sort of providing random pieces of background information at times. And one thing that Night Eye is able to pull from his powers is knowledge that there is a secret passage to the basement. Yeah, absolutely. So they're running through the house. They leave the the minor heroes mm-hmm. outside to deal with the mob who are like, we got this. Like, yeah. we patrol the streets. This is This is fine. Not a lot of people with really threatening powers out here. And what's useful about Foresight is not only does Night Eye know where the door is, he knows the secret, like, push sequence Mm -hmm. to get it to open up. And they never would have known that. No, and it's even pointed out, they never would have known that if it wasn't for them. And this is going to allow them to get away from the fray, or so, so they hope. But unfortunately, they open the door, and there are more dudes in there who rushed them. There's a discussion as they're running and dealing with this. Centipeter and Bubble Girl mm-hmm. largely take care of these low-level functionaries. Mm-hmm. But there's a discussion about how, you know, all these people who belong to this fraternity, mm-hmm. the mob, yeah. have really put their, their lives on the line for the boss, but the boss is trying to sneak out the back. Yeah, it, they have a quick discussion about loyalty here. and Karishima how, is not impressed. Yeah, Karishima is not impressed because he's like, to me, like, and I agree with Karishima. Like, they're not, it's not worth, that's not worthy of their loyalty because if you're basically using all your low-level thugs as shields, then you don't deserve their loyalty, basically. And I feel that's part of the appeal of, like, these mob mafia-type stories. I recently watched Vincesno, which is all about the mafia. And you have all these characters, and none of them are really good people. Like, it's not necessarily, like, morality tales or anything like that. And they often do very terrible things. But there is always that loyalty there. And that's what makes those stories so interesting. It's a fascinating complex that these criminal organizations can inspire that level of, of loyalty and mm-hmm. the people who, who work for the organization. And it's no different here. No. Um, when they get into the secret door, they are blocked by a wall. And it looks like it has been recently created because there shouldn't be a wall here it's a secret passage to a dead end yeah and it's a basement and i think it's kind of interesting that you see you get this one shot of them all in this basement um, examining this wall and i'm like you know that looks like the size of my basement just that shot of them sitting there like this is a very large basement apparently and then you get mirio who decides to examine the wall and he walks up to it and um who was it karishima makes a comment like your clothes no your clothes are going to fall off and amajiki says don't worry about it his clothing is actually made from his hair so he doesn't have to worry about um his powers not working because if you think about it if his powers impacted his hair his hair would be falling off his head all the time yep so he takes a run through the wall and is like this wall is really thick but there is a passage on the other side Mm -hmm. and karishima and deku are on the case for the smashy smash oh yeah they smash right through it they don't even show the impact like it just sort of understood that they are just that badass I think the the best thing about this particular scene is how Rocklock and Fat Gum are like, hot damn. Yeah, good job, guys. <laughs> um, I think Rocklock, for all of understanding that these kids are, are from UA and stuff like that, really didn't expect them to be as competent or capable. Mm-hmm. And he's very impressed yes. in the moment. Fat Gum knew what Karishima was made of, at least. Yeah, that's So true. he's not surprised. But this is not the last impediment to their progress. Yeah, we get a quick shot of a villain, a small villain it looks like, injecting himself with the same mysterious drug, drug, that booster drug that we saw made that guy's blades come out of him basically back with Karishima before. And 
that's going to cause some problems. Yeah, it causes him to grow bigger, which is interesting, mm-hmm. out of his costume. And then he slips into the wall. And then everything goes to shit. Because the entire like underground maze that they're running through is like putty now. Mm-hmm. It was basically, we have a very, like, it turns into, like, an M.C. Escher painting where everything's sort of, like, you know, upside down and everything like that. And they realize right away that this is from a villain named Mimic, although his abilities aren't supposed to be this intense. He's supposed to be able to slip into things and control them from the inside. Mm -hmm. But the largest thing he's supposed to be able to handle is something like a refrigerator. And not this suspiciously large basement. Yeah, that is enormous. And they're like, oh no, the booster drug. Mm -hmm. And as a result, because of his ability to constantly create passages, they can create basically endless escape routes for overhaul. Yep, it's not a good scene. Mirio is not having any of this because he realizes they're just trying to stall them. Yeah. And so he's like, listen, it doesn't matter how many walls he puts up. I can run through them. I'm going to run on ahead. Amajiki gets, like, really uh, depressed in yeah. this moment before Mirio runs off, basically. Yeah, he, he definitely feels defeated because he realizes how much this complicates things for them. And Mirio has, like, a, a quick moment where he goes and he comforts him and he lets him know that basically everything's going to be okay. He acts like a hero. <laughs> yep. And Mirio's like, see ya, I'm going. And no one is really cool with this. I want to point that out. Everyone's like, no, don't run off ahead. And yeah. he's like, I'll stall them. Whoosh, I'm gone. And then everybody gets dumped into the floor. Yes. A big a, hole. A giant up. hole just opens up and dumps everyone. And there are villains waiting. Three villains, actually. There's one dude with a beak mask mm-hmm. who looks like a kind of common thug. He's blonde yep. and short hair. There's a big burly dude who's bald wearing a surgical mask mm-hmm. that we're all familiar to By now, definitely. Um, <laughs> Quite the, familiar. The third guy has to be a Scarecrow reference. Yeah, um, he has definitely the same sort of like mask that you see from Scarecrow from from Batman, and he looks nuts. Basically, these, these are three of the eight bullets that we mentioned last time, like the higher level specialized thugs with superpowers, and they're here to stall everyone. Or will they? Because Amajiki immediately steps forward before anyone can fight, and he's like, "You know what? I'm going to take care of these guys." But we learned very quickly that these people are not incapable. The police ID one of them as somebody they can't fight with their guns. But we don't get an explanation for why. Yeah, it's uh, his given name is Setsuna. He's the blonde guy. So we have, you know, Eraserhead kind of step in and Erase's quirk, which is useful. Again, a nice reminder of how useful Eraserhead is. Yeah, none of these people have fought Eraserhead before. So yeah, they have no idea who he is. Yeah, they're kind of surprised. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I've heard about somebody who has powers like this, but, you know, I didn't know about it. And there is a short but fierce debate mm-hmm. about what to do because they can't all sit here and fight because Overhaul is getting away. Yes. And, like, the cops, you know, try to arrest the guys, but, you know, they're clearly not down for that. And Amajiki sort of, like, tangles them all up, and he creates octopus tentacles from his hands. And he tangles the guys up, and he's like, you know what? No, trust me, I can take care of these three. And he's, everyone is very questionable about this, but he, he tells Fatgum, he's like, I'm enough. Like, I can do this. Like, trust me. And Fatgum's like, let's go. And everybody questions his decision to leave him there with three superpowered villains. And Fagum's like, listen, Sun Eater is probably one of, if not the most powerful person here. His Mm -hmm. problem has always been mental, emotional. It's not like power strength. And if he 
feels confident that he can handle it, he can handle it. I must admit, I understand his explanation here because we know his powers are very impressive. Versatile. But I, versatile. But I kind of feel the same way as everyone else in the room. People, they go with his call and Eraserhead on the way out even erases all three of their quirks again to give Amajiki time to sort of tangle him up. But I feel like despite his strengths, it's still a three-on-one fight. And this is going to be really hard for him. Yeah, they left him in an advantageous position. There mm-hmm. folks, the the enemy does not have powers at the moment. One of them is knocked out. Mm-hmm. The guy with the scarecrow mask got hit in the head on, on the, the way, way out. By. Yeah. But they're like, tie these people up before like they get their powers back. But poor Amajiki is overthinking everything. Mm-hmm. Deku is the last one out of the room, as a point of note. Yes. He, he tells him to take care of Mirio. Yep. Because he's going to try too hard. Which we will definitely see in a later episode. So now that we have Amajiki fall surrounded by these three guys, and it looks like he's got, ha, you know, has an advantage, but that quickly becomes obvious that it's not that way. In the previous scene, Sun Eater even destroyed their weapons, but not the only weapons. The blonde guy, whose name we now learn is his, his villain name is Larceny, reveals that he had a knife in his mask. He ends up cutting Sun Eater and forcing him to retreat a bit, which gives room for the the crystal guy, the big mm-hmm. burly dude who is bald, to break out and start, like, beating him down. Yeah, he basically has all these, like, white crystals all over him, which are very tough. Yeah, and they look like they would really hurt to get punched by. So, just as the tables are turned, we get another flashback. Um, this, again, of Amajiki as a child, um, where he is trying to use his powers to grow some sort of a plant out of his arm. But he's kind of underperforming and his teacher calls him out on that in a way that seems kind of mean with the kid i'm not gonna lie yeah like with your powers you should have done better yeah so you could see he's definitely feeling very defeated and to counter this we have young mirio trying to walk through a board and getting stuck basically and everyone's laughing and everyone at laughs him. at him and he sort of laughs along with it He's like, this is way harder than you guys think. It would be five times harder than you probably think to walk through this wall. Which we have confirmed in, um, at the end of last season, actually, when we've had it explained to us that his powers are just so complicated. Um, but the reason why he's so good is because he uses them so effectively and he's put all this work into it. And it's clear that even at this moment, he's already put a lot of work into it. Yeah, and the two of them walk home together after school and... Amajiki is like, you're great. Like, you're so much better than me. And not only that, the thing that really gets him is the fact that he manages to remain cheerful, even when he messes up, which is, I feel like, not really a common trait. Most people, when they mess up, they either get defensive or they feel bad. Yeah. But (laughs) Mirio is such a good person. He's like, no, like, you, you got it all wrong. The reason why I can do a good job is because you're here doing your best despite the fact that you're scared half to death. More or less, you give me courage to work harder and be better. There's a line where he says, you overvalue me too much and undervalue yourself too much. Like, if I'm like the sun, like, you are somebody who can exceed the sun. You can be the sun eater. Which was where he takes his name from. Yeah, so once again, we get this confirmation, just like with Fat Gum, that he's really impressive that he just lacks confidence. And we go back to the present day, and we see him sort of gather this confidence and turn the tables on the bad guys like he's able to sort of you know he comments about how he's used all the things that he has consumed and he creates a sort of ultra form with tons of tentacles and protection over his face and everything like that 
and is able to like basically throw them around uh, at the villains and catch them off guard. Yeah, he's beating down the crystallized guy and mm-hmm. the larceny guy, whose powers are to steal things from people, by the way. Yeah, um, um, basically anything that they're wearing or something like yep. that, he can take away from them. And it includes stuff that they're holding. Like guns, which yes. is why the police couldn't pull their guns on him. Mm-hmm. And Sunnier is beating these two down, but suddenly our masked friend wakes up. And his quirk is food. Yeah. Basically, he has really strong teeth, really strong jaws, and a really strong stomach, which I must admit that I kind of envy because I do not have a strong stomach. Uh, he can eat anything, including all those tentacles, which, gross. No. What's crazy about this dude, and I want to point this out, I don't want to pass over this. He can eat anything, he can digest anything, and his body digests it in a second. Mm-hmm. Which means he's always starving. Like, he's always hungry and crazy with hunger. I must admit, out of all the powers that we've seen so far, this has to be the worst. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel good to be hungry. Yeah. So, again, the ties are turned with this time in, in favor of the villains. So you see, like, you know, Larceny steal the mask that Amajiki has on us to protect his face. And you see crystallized attack, and it gets pretty serious. It gets pretty serious. They have... Sunnier up against the wall. Mm-hmm. He's in really bad condition. The scarecrow food guy has eaten all of his tentacles and they get small enough that Larceny can steal them away. And we sort of get confession from Crystallize at this moment where he talks about how, you know, they are considered trash by society for a variety of reasons, you know, involving things like debt and um, sort of deals gone wrong and stuff like that. But how, yeah, they're trash. But they're trash that sticks together and that they're loyal to Overhaul um, because he gave them a place when no one else would. Yeah, Overhaul was a person who said, you know, society doesn't value you, but I do. Mm -hmm. Why don't you come work for me and I'll make sure you get taken care of? Mm -hmm. That's why the loyalty is there from these people. Like, I'm glad that they take the time to show it. Yeah, I mean, it's a little sandwiched in because there's a lot going on this episode. But even Amajiki reflects that uh, he doesn't use this, these words exactly, but the argument that you may be trash, but I appreciate trash. Like, it, it is almost, it's not really healthy. Like, it's almost like brainwashing, I think, is the word yeah. that he uses. Like, it's not a healthy relationship at all. Like, these people are, as we saw with Karishima's comment at the beginning of the episode, they are ultimately loyal to someone who is using them like trash. And that's not good. Yeah, it's... It's certainly not fantastic. But the, but you know what they're good at? They're good at working together. Yeah. And that is, again, the whole uh, thing about loyalty and friendship and teamwork and how that is what makes, allows them to sort of turn the tables in this moment, but not forever. But not forever. Amajiki decides that if his opponent's greatest strength is the fact that they trust each other and they work together, he is going to disrupt that. Mm-hmm. So he uses his foot turns it into a claw and kicks a crystal at Larceny so that he thinks that he was like blindsided by mm-hmm. his buddy there. Uh, and then he manages to catch Crystallize off guard by crystallizing. Yep, because he ate one of his crystals. This is the best twist of the episode, I must admit. Um, and he uses that crystal to create some armor for him. And at this point, like he ends up pinning them all against the wall and once again, turning the tables in his favor. And knocks them out. And completely knocks them out. And we get a little reflection at this, the very end of the episode, about how he can't understand their pain, which makes sense. Like, he hasn't lived their lives. Like, he can't understand where they're coming from and why they do the things they do. 
but you know because he has this really strong bond with Mirio, basically he can understand their loyalty. Yep, it's a nice um, synergetic reflection mm-hmm. from our hero here in the moment as he slumps down against the wall, exhausted from his three-on-one fight, and probably waiting, praying for the police to show up and take these people away because he's not up for another scrap. Which is really impressive if you think about it. Like, this is a kid. He's not even a pro hero yet. Like, he is, you know, a 17. child. He's like a, a teenager. Um, and he was able to take on three full-grown adult villains that are, you know... Experienced. Experienced sort of lieutenants for overhaul. So that is really damn impressive. Like, it was hard for him to get there, but he managed to figure it out. So, good job. Good job, Amajiki. Yeah. What did you think of the episode? This is a good episode. I feel like the issue I have with it is the issue that I have with a lot of the episodes is there's it's a little jam-packed. It's a little rushed. And there are some times when it's kind of difficult to follow what's going on, especially when they're all kind of rushing at the, at the beginning and stuff like that. But I feel like when it gets down to the actual fight that is really strong, and I feel like the overall message about loyalty is really interesting. Yeah, the overarching story of the episode itself, like by itself, is good. And it's a lot of fun, but it is a little overstuffed. It's like a triple stuff Oreo. Too much. No one needs that much Oreo. Well, maybe. Well, maybe. (laughs) It depends. Is it dipped in chocolate? Yeah. Ooh, that sounds really good. But I do appreciate, even if though I was questioning, you know, the sanity of Fat Gum leaving Amajiki alone with these three guys to fight, the moment that that happens, it sort of, you know, allows, you know, the characters some room to breathe because you're not focused on juggling, like, the dozens of heroes and villains that are in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to focus on just a couple characters is really helpful from a storytelling perspective and from an action perspective. That room wasn't that big. Yeah. I think that Sun Eater's vast hybrid, like, ultimate move, where he combines all these different Mm -hmm. advantageous pieces from all the food that he's eaten, the species that he's eaten, into this, like, really awesome-looking form. So good. Yeah, I must agree. Like, he, it definitely not a power set that I would want because in, in many ways it is kind of gross. Um, but the way that he is able to utilize all these different sort of like animal parts in a lot of ways um, is really creative and I think makes him worthy of the Plus Ultra Character of the Week. I agree with you. He gives a whole new definition to you are what you eat. It's, yeah. I feel like Horikoshi <laughs> was like, what if somebody actually was and then he made this character (laughs) he does a great job this is the most you're probably going to see of him yeah that's true um at least as far as i know Mm -hmm. and if they only had 22 minutes to sell you on him they do a damn good job yeah because he is in a way like as someone that was a very shy child like he's very relatable in a lot of ways and just seeing a lot of the conversation around him on live online i feel like a lot of people really connect with him It's also really interesting, like, he has this, we were talking about this before the episode, I don't think his sexuality is ever discussed, like, explicitly, but he has this really warm relationship with Mirio that doesn't feel casual or platonic. No, it doesn't, just like the images of him, like, looking at, you know, this shining face and treating him like the sun and stuff like that the way he shines down on him yeah his his warmth and his kindness like those are romantic images um like if i were to be shown them without any context and knowledge for the show i would interpret them as being romantic 
Which I think is interesting because we don't, as much as we joke about <laughs> Bakugo and Karishima, <laughs> we, we don't see a lot of explicit imagery for that type of relationship. No, we get, you know, again, we joke about them a lot, but you could make the argument that all of the things that we see as romantic are basically camaraderie. But in this, I don't know about these two, Mirio and, and Amajiki, I feel like the way that their relationship is described does feel more romantic to me. It's an interesting thing to ponder. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if at some point down the road that'll ever get paid off one way or the other. Mm -hmm. But for now, it's it's fun to theorycraft. It is. And we're going to leave it at that. Mm -hmm. We've done all the checkboxes. We've done all the things. That's the episode for this week. And we want to remind you that if you want to talk to us about your opinions on the episode, you can do so over on Twitter. We are at One For All Cast. There was a new follower this week. I saw you pop in and like some tweets. Thank you for that. We'd love to see that. Additionally, if you want to follow our other projects, of which there are many, you can follow us on Twitter as well. I'm at Incidentally Anna, and Nancy is at... Watch Nancy Tweet. We're not going to shill about giving us ratings and reviews this week. We do it every week. Yeah, you know by now. (laughs) Now, don't forget... Nancy writes some good superhero books. There are a bunch of them out, and she has some new projects on the way that are not superhero-related, if that is your jam. That's right. If you want to read a superhero series about a nerdy girl turned superhero, then you want to check out the Red and Black books. And if you enjoy fairy tale retellings, the first book in my Twin Kingdoms quartet uh, comes out on August 4th. It's called The Rose and the Claw. And the cover looks baller. Yep, it's very pretty. It's very good. Yeah. Now, I want to take a moment to thank all of you for listening. We do this for you. This show is a, is a labor of love. Like, we do not generate income off of this. Uh, so, thank you for listening and making all that work worthwhile. I also want to give a thank you to Richard Acosta for our opening and ending credits. They're fantastic. We love them. Richard, you're the best. And of course, a very, very special thank you to my co-host, Nancy, for speculating on the sexuality of characters in an anime with me, as is a great anime pastime. For some people, it's the only thing about anime they watch. And you know, I can't blame them. (laughs) Well, next time we will be back as we dive into season four, episode nine, Red Riot. I bet you can't guess who will be starring in that episode. I'm excited. You also get to see a lot of fat gum. Yes. Which is... Also exciting. Also exciting. But we will see you then. Have a good one. We'll see you then.